we're, we're so glad to see you today. Today, uh, I want you to go with me to the uh, book of Luke. If you want to just turn there, I'm just going to hit the latter portion of just one verse, Luke 10, 37. And uh, this is real familiar to most of us. This is where Jesus has been uh, encountered by a lawyer. Uh, we're talking about of the law now, not a lawyer at the courthouse type lawyer. And uh, basically was just testing Jesus again, as they did several times. And he asked him, you know, what did he need to do to have eternal life? And of course he recited, Jesus asked him, well, how do you read it? And he recited the law. And he recited the one about love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second's likened unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And then, then he followed up, that wasn't good enough, the Bible says, in, in him attempting to justify himself uh, before the Lord, he said, you know, who is my neighbor? And in response to that question, Jesus gives a parable that we refer to as the Good Samaritan. How many familiar with it? And of course, this guy goes down, he gets accosted by thieves, he is beaten up, cut, bruised, broken, whatever, left there, possibly left for dead. And then Jesus says, a Levite went by. This is someone in, you know, that should have helped, but they didn't. A priest went by, someone in the, quote, ministry, and they saw him and they passed by on the other side. Didn't want to get involved, didn't want to, to, to fool with it. And then a Samaritan, which the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. They despised uh, one another basically as a whole and this Samaritan saw this man in that condition and he and he helped him he took him he dressed his wounds uh, he made sure he had food and, and uh, clothing and shelter and actually transported him to an inn and he paid uh, the innkeeper to look after the man and he told him he would come by this way again and he said if I owe you anything else I'll pay you when I when I come back. And he just took just practical, pragmatic care of somebody that was needed help. Isn't that good? And, did, and then Jesus says in the latter part of 1037, uh, he said, go and do likewise. And that's the title that I, the words of the Lord, go and, go and do likewise. You, you can be seated. Um, it, it seems to me that that phrase of Jesus, go and do likewise, is basically the the essence, really, of what we would call the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, how many knows that, that all through the Bible, in the New Testament, when John was preaching, Jesus was preaching, they referred to the kingdom of God. Uh, some people try to draw a, a parallel or paradox, rather, between kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. There, there is not one. They're the same. Uh, a lot of times, you know, they would say repent, and we know here the word repent means what? Think differently. And he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is what? It's at hand. In other words, it's here, it's within your grasp, uh, it's not, uh, uh, you know, unavailable to you. The kingdom of heaven is how some Christians look. They think that's the place they're going when they die. But the kingdom of heaven, Jesus brought it with him. And the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says, is when we're born again, when we come to that recognition, is on the inside of us. We, we literally carry the kingdom of God on the inside of us. And, and, and so that's the essence of the message where Jesus would say, John would say, go, and he said, do these things, you know, do this. And then he said, preach the kingdom of heaven to him. Preach the kingdom of God as you go. And it's all throughout the scripture. But a lot of times in the church, instead of us seeing the essence of it, go and do, it's more like for God to come and do. 
and we want God to come and do. And I guess my big target today is I want you to just think differently. You know, I spend a lot of time uh, talking, and I think it's so important that you understand the nature and the, and, and the wonderfulness of God. Uh, that grace is, you know, we talk about that a lot around here. Grace is not a subject. Grace is a person. His name's Jesus, right? But yet, uh, sometimes we try to separate those things in our thoughts. And um, I, I just want, you know, when you think about things, a lot of times when you hear people pray, and most of us that was raised in church, we grew up hearing these kind of prayers. We grew up thinking in this type of paradigm, and, and, and we're still influenced by that today. And what I mean is that we, you know, I've, I've had so many people over all these 30-plus years that I've been doing this that say, you know, maybe like a lady will say, please pray for my husband. I'm just praying that God will save him, which is an appropriate, proper desire and a request. But what I want to ask you, and don't answer, okay, but just think. But does God have a day circled on the, on the Gregorian calendar that we use? Does God have a day, you know, that where, whereas in the past he had planned on that particular day to save that person? Uh, just think about that. Or does God have a day on the calendar sometime in the future where he has a specific plan on that particular day or that particular Sunday morning to uh, heal you, something you desire to you know, bring healing in your body. Um, you know, do, is that the way God operates? And then we hear people, you know, all my life I've heard people praying and, and they'll, they'll say, um, Lord, we, we ask you to you know, heal sister so-and-so. And then they'll start enumerating the reasons that God should heal her. Uh, you know, she's been a Sunday school teacher for 20 years. She's been faithful to this church. Well, none of those are reasons that God will heal. God don't heal because you've been a Sunday school teacher, right? And the reason I'm lumping healing and salvation because they're really one and the same because they're paid for by the same Jesus on the same day on the same cross. When does the Bible say it is the, is the day of salvation? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. God don't have a special day to do any of these things. God's already done those things and provided everything we need for those things to transpire. When you and I pray, prayer does not move God. It, prayer doesn't cause God to do something he otherwise would not do. Y'all are mighty quiet on that. But what prayer does is move you. See, this is where all the stuff comes in, and people get upset about that if I mention that because it tears up their little busy work. And I'm not against people praying, of course. That's stupid. But if you think, you know, I see it all the time on Facebook and social media where there's an urgent need, there's a child sick, there's something, you know, very critical in their mind, and they'll make these statements, you know, we need everybody, we need everybody praying for this. We need everybody praying for this. Or there'll be some national need or some event, and they're trying to get, we're trying to get a million people to pray. Why? See, you, you look at God not as a father in that. You look at God as some type of bureaucratic politician that needs uh, you, know, you to have enough signatures to move him. In other words, if we get enough people praying, if we get enough of people, how many has heard the statement, we just need to bombard heaven? 
We need to get as many people as possible to pray for this. Because you think deep inside that the more people you got praying, the better your chances are to getting your prayer answered. Can I tell you that's a sick way of doing it? And that shows that we got a messed up view of God. We, don't, we see him as a judge and a ruler. We don't see him as a father. What, what kind of a father would have to say, you know, you got several kids and one of the kids comes and says, Daddy, I need this, please give me that. And I go, well, you know, no. And so they go get the brothers and sisters all to sign a petition, you know. Now, it's just ridiculous. That's not a good father. Uh, that's not a good father at all. And, but that's how we view prayer. We view prayer sometimes as that we're trying to convince God to do something that God don't already have planned to do or that God has not already provided for. Do you know that God did not wait until man sinned to come up with a remedy for man sinning? The Bible says in Revelation that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. There's no plan B's with God. But, you know, we have in our American, you know, Greek-based culture such a desire that we don't think in terms of go and do. We think of come and sit. And it's okay, and I believe in doing what we're doing right now. But the whole purpose of teaching is not just only to convey information, but it is to impart to us what God would have us to do to put legs on all this, to put hands on all this. You know, I taught school for Moultrie Technical College for six years uh, as a part-time job when I was a paramedic chief, and uh, I taught the EMT program, I taught anatomy and physiology to the LPN program, uh, taught a lot of courses for them, because they pay real good, and, uh, and it was a blessing in my life to have that, and I did that for, like I said, six years, and, uh, and, and I had all kind of people come through those programs. Uh, I remember I had a person that had a doctorate degree uh, come through my uh, EMT program. That's 800 contact hours. It was back then. They have to, you know, graduate out of my class, and then they go to the state boards, and they pass that. Then they can be an emergency medical technician, and they can start working on an ambulance. And then if they want to be a paramedic, then they got, they got another two years ahead of, of training. But... Uh, this, this person aced every test I ever gave uh, the person. And, uh, but we would also give written tests, but we would give practical exams. We would set up scenarios for them. And they would walk in the room, we would have things set up, somebody's acting, or either we'd have a, uh, a mannequin of sorts, and we'd say, okay, you just arrive on the scene and, and tell me what you're seeing. And they would go at it. Couldn't pass any practicals. So the point is, there was nothing practical this person ever passed, therefore they failed the course. But they made, they made hundreds on every written exam. Now, which paramedic do you want rolling up on your accident scene? Do you want the one that can show you their report card that they made 100 on every test, but they can't do nothing with their fingers? Or do you want the person that knows how to get you out of that car that you pinned in and to help extricate you out and provide the care you have? You see? So there, there's more to this this message than us just listening to messages and, and highlighting messages and all that's important, but it leads us to a person. It leads us to an experience. Um, this is exactly the deception that we were warned about in the book of James 1 and 22. And because he said, be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. See, uh, we value teaching so much in, in our American 
a culture that, that, that we, we feel like because we can recall the information that we somehow have gotten it. We think we know it. Uh, you only know what you can manifest. In other words, if I was to be preaching and teaching on, you know, feed the hungry, uh, you know, clothe the naked, do those practical, pragmatic things, even like the parable of the, that, that's just a pragmatic helping somebody that fell into trouble. But if I preach on that and teach on that, I promise you what's going to happen over this next week, somebody in here is going to have an opportunity to actually put that into action. But you can sit here and so let the person know that, that thinks they know it, that they will hear the message, they will say amen, they have it in their brain, but it's not made it into their heart. It's not a part of who they are. They don't actually look for the opportunities to be that person. Now, sometimes we get blown away by, you know, the, the, the big things, you know, lay hands and heal the sick, you know, cast out devils, raise the, you know, all those things Jesus said. It's called the commission. He said, go and do these things. And he said, preach the kingdom of heaven everywhere you go. He said, everywhere you go, say this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus said. But the apostle Paul, he said, the kingdom of heaven is not in word only. See, I can go faster if I don't have to go chapter verse with you on every little thing. But that's exactly what Paul said. He said, the kingdom of heaven is not in word only, but in power. And then he said in another one of his epistles, he said, he said, for I have fully preached the gospel to you with signs, wonders, and miracles. Paul said that we haven't fully preached the gospel of the kingdom unless there's signs following, unless we've done the things. Jesus told him one time, he said, unless you see the works that I do, don't believe anything I say. What if we, what if we judge preachers based on that today? If you don't see me manifest any of this that I'm preaching about, don't believe anything I tell you. Boy, it's quiet in our Presbyterian church this morning. <laughs> and don't email me. I love the Presbyterians. Um, the Bible says that, that, that we are God's fellow workers. That's 1 Corinthians 3.9. One translation says that we are God's co-laborers. We co-labor with God. And, and, and what that reveals about God is the Trinity that we, that we are, you know, we, we're going to be, I'm going to devote a whole sermon to that. But he, he, we are God's co-laborer. What, what does that mean? It goes back to the nature of God's, God's nature. And, and this is something that I've missed for a long time, really. I could recite it, but it, was, it, wasn't, it didn't seem real to me. God's nature is relational. And that's not just, that's, that doesn't begin with you and I. God has always, in eternity past, been a relational God. And what I'm speaking about is the Trinity. The, the, the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, everything about God is relational. And God is one God, but yet they are three distinct aspects of God. And they relate to one another without competition, without diminishing the other. And they absolutely are, are it, 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 is, it is a love-giving, not a love-receiving-based relationship. And we see it right out of the gate in Genesis 1 where God said, He's talking to the Trinity, let us make man in our image. In our likeness. When man sins, God's speaking in terms of the plurality of the three. He said, look, man has become as, as us, knowing good and evil. 
And, and everything, everything is always based on the relationship. But God's nature is relational. But listen to me, God's method is partnership. God's going to partner with you and with me. And, 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 and we're going to be able to do. See, Jesus said these frightening things, really, to some people. He said, the works that you have seen me do shall you do also, and greater than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. Now, did Jesus say that or not? Jesus said, the works that I do. He didn't say, the, the messages that I preach shall you preach also. He said, the works, the things you've seen me do, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, all these things that you've seen me do shall you do also. The Bible said, that, and these signs shall follow them that believe. What kind of signs? He said, in my name they shall cast out devils. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. It's assumed, I guess, by some that if we lay hands on the sick people that we're praying for them. But this is, this, this is not how you pray. Oh, God, please come do this. Because God's already provided everything that you need for you to do that. Now, listen to me. And this puts us in a position that makes us squirm a little bit. And I know most every Sunday I'm always talking to you about grace and I'm telling you what God's done for you. And all that is extremely important. But what are we going to do with all this? See, we were never made to live this life from our own power, from our own wisdom, or from our own resources and abilities. Uh, the, the, this life that we call Christianity was, is not, it's, it's not meant to be hard. It's meant to be impossible in your own strength. You, you can, we can't do this in our own strength. And, and, and Listen, if it's all of him and none of us, then I don't have anything to do then. Then, then I'm totally passive. I'm just waiting on him and all the tragedy and all the problems in the world and all this. I can just blame that on God. And that's where the church is at. Now, see, we don't, we don't understand Colossians 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. These are, I, I talk about this a lot, but it says, because this is telling us that we lack nothing. In, in my book, I, I devoted a whole chapter to the myth of more. I grew up in a church culture that was saying, we just need more of you, God. And then they would they even tag on less of me. More of you, less of me. Really. You, you don't have any Bible for that. In fact, the Bible's against that. No, no apostle in the Bible ever prayed for more of God. Nobody. Nobody in the New Testament ever prayed a prayer, Lord, we just need more of you. That should make you think. Nobody prayed for that. Not one. Just need more of you, Lord. But how many of you think, you don't raise your hand again, that you need more of God? Your problem is you need more of God. Your problem is you need more faith. The problem is you need more of this. You need more of that. If you had more of this, then things would be better. That's not it at all. It's just an awakening that comes to you of what you have been provided through Christ Jesus and the grace of God. Now, you lack nothing. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, that's the Trinity, bodily. And you are complete in him. Now, do you believe the Bible? You're complete in him. Look at your neighbor and say, you're complete in him. I know you don't like to do that. You're complete in him. 
who is the head of all principality and power. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, listen to this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How does grace and peace get multiplied to you? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has, is that past tense or future tense? It's past tense. As his divine power has given to us, how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You need another one? Thank you. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed us with every, how many? Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. All your blessings are in Christ. Now, the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. So what are you wasting time praying for more? And how do you know you even get it when you pray it? Does your fuel tank register full or how do you know? Do you feel like you got it because you got a goose bump after you prayed? Or what is it? How does that work? More of you, God. We just need more of you. The, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.20 that the church is to be built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Um, Ephesians 2.19, I'll just read it. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and your members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now let me say this to you. A church that is not built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets looks very different than a, than a church that, in other words, if your church is not built upon that foundation, then the church is askew. Now, let me say this. I, I'm just, I need to say some things. When, when, I, when I came in, when I, what I was raised in, the denomination I was raised in, did not believe in apostles or prophets. Didn't believe in them. I never heard one... If they, if they mentioned the word apostle and prophet, they were talking about somebody lived back yonder. They were talking about 12 guys who followed Jesus around or the prophets like Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. But they weren't talking about anybody contemporary by no means. Now, yet it was a church that believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so, but you, you understand in Ephesians 4 that he said that God, Jesus, you know, when he ascended, before he ascended, he first descended, but he gave gifts unto men. That he gave some to be, what, what's the Bible say? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. How many is that? Five. We call that, refer to that sometimes as the fivefold ministry, or as the hand of God. Uh, so, you know, the, the apostles seemingly represents a lot of times the thumb, because the apostolic can touch easily each other aspect of the fivefold. The prophet is, is pointing pointing to the voice of the Lord, the voice of God. Every Christian has the blessed right to hear and recognize the voice of their father, their shepherd. And then you have the longest finger, the evangelist, the, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, is reaching out further, reaching out into the nation, evangelist. And, and, then, and then you have 
apostle, prophet, evangelist, what? Pastor. Uh, that's, they're married. I'm married to you. We're in covenant together. This is your church. You are a member of this house. If you're a member of Grace Point, I have a responsibility to you. I'm in covenant with you. We're in covenant with one another. We love you. You, you, you know, the, the Bible refers to the elders here with responsibility to give watch over the flock that God has made us overseer. We rejoice when you rejoice. We weep when you weep. If you're sick, you're supposed to call for the elders of the church. We'll pray and anoint you with oil, as James 5 says. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Is that what it says? The prayer of what? Faith. Faith does what? Faith calls things that be not as though they already are. Faith don't move God. It moves you in a position to receive what God's already provided. God don't have a day on the calendar that he's going to decide to heal you. Somebody said, well, I'm, looking, I'm looking, looking forward to my healing, to the day the Lord heals me. You're looking in the future. Your healing's not that way. It's this way. How many times have I tried to teach you that? So you'll never see your healing looking that way because your healing ain't that way. Your healing's this way. By his stripes, you were healed. Were healed. Well, if I were healed, then I'm not healed. Why? You know, then you put your brain to frying on all that. This is not received by brain waves. When were you saved? 2,000 years ago when the Lord took the sin of the world to the cross. When did you get saved? The day you believed it. The Bible says the grace of God has appeared for salvation has appeared unto all men. But all men are not saved because you're not saved by grace alone. Ephesians said we're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. So the, the, the grace of God's appeared to everybody, but you have, to, you, you have to, to believe in that. You have to believe in the message of the goodness of God. As they were singing today, that scripture comes to my, my mind, oh, taste of the Lord and see that he is good. Because they were a lot of songs today, seemingly to me, about the goodness of God and how good God is. And that's the revelation that I pray you receive. And, and so when, when, when you see that, you know, the, what is the apostolic? If we say apostle, the word apostle simply means sent. Sent one. Now, the Bible refers to, yes, 12 apostles that followed Jesus were handpicked and chosen by him. Judas Iscariot hangs himself in attempt to deal with his own sin. It wasn't necessary, and it availed him nothing. But he did it anyway. He saw no hope. He gave up. So then the, the apostles, the remaining 11, got together, and they cast lots, which means they, it's a biblical thing that they did in those days, but they chose a, 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 an apostle to replace him, Matthias. So now they've got the 12 back in place, but the Bible, your New Testament Bible, from that point forward, names another 13 apostles. Why is it still talking about other apostles? Because the gift didn't go away. Now, you may not understand it, but just because your church don't believe in it don't mean it's not that God doesn't have it. Now, I, 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 didn't, yeah, I didn't even, you know, I grew up not believing in apostles. I thought that was just the guys that followed Jesus around. But if you believe that, that today in the church that there are pastors, how many believes there's pastors in the church today? I, I won't make this hard or tricky. I'll never try to trick you. 
How many believe there's teachers in the church today? How many believe there's evangelists? You know, that's the guy who comes by in spring and fall, slick hairdo, five sermons. But then if I carry it further, how many believe there's prophets today? So you guys, I've already got you. How many believe there's apostles today? Now, they will never be apostles like the 12 handpicked by Jesus. Those are the apostles of Christ, but there are apostolic people in the church today. The five, if you go to a doctor and he gives you five prescriptions and you decide on the way to the pharmacy to throw two out the window just because you don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't believe in this medicine. And you throw it out, and you don't. And that doctor gave you all five to work uh, synergistically with one another. Yet you decide that you don't believe in two of them. You throw them out the window, and then you wonder why you're not complete and well, and your health is recovered. The church needs the ministry of the fivefold ministry. It needs that aspect. Now Jesus was apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher all in one. But nobody else is. I told this story a long time ago, and I know you heard tell I can't make up new stories. That's just my life, you know. But Peter Wagner said, uh, when I was in a meeting actually with Peter Wagner, he's dead now, and, uh, but we was out in uh, Fort Worth, uh, Texas, and Peter Wagner said that there was this guy, he went to a big conference, you know, and uh, he said this guy had on like a cape, you know, and cape's cool if you're Superman or Dracula or somebody, but you don't see a lot of capes around. But anyway, he said the guy had on a cape, big conference, a lot of people, hundreds of people there. And the guy was, you know, way off in the distance. But on the back of the cape, he had the word apostle, prophet, and evangelist. But he had the first letter of each of it really brilliant and larger. And then it was, you know, big, a real big A, apostle, uh, you know, prophet, evangelist. Peter Wagner said from the stage, all he could read was ape. And his point was that you're dumb as a monkey if you think you're all that, because you're not. Now, you know, and so it's not my aim today to teach you what an apostle or prophet or an evangelist is, or, or pastor or teacher. Uh, I, I do believe that we got a weird view of a lot of those things. The Bible, New Testament, talks about prophecy, and it says that if we, you know, he who prophesies, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, he who prophesies uh, that they speak to men for edification, that means to build them up, exhortation, that means to encourage them and then to comfort them. So the three methods by which prophecy ministers to people is it builds up people, it, it encourages them, and it comforts them. Now, I wonder how many in this room don't need at least one or, not, or all three of those in other words, how many in here don't need to be encouraged, don't need to be built up, and don't need to be comforted? Uh, I, I'm in the pile. I need all three. Sign me up for all three. Okay? So that's what prophecy does. Uh, and, and the Bible says this New Testament thing. Listen, it says, for we may all, Paul said, you may all prophesy. So every believer has the ability to speak to a person Saved or lost in, in, a, in a way that will build them up, comfort them, and encourage them. And that's all I'm talking about doing. Now, if you have a weird dream, I've told you, and you see me laying in the casket holding the lily, don't come to tell me that in the parking lot. I don't want to hear it. 
Because that don't encourage me, strengthen me, or build me up. Keep that to yourself. I'm just going to blame it on the pizza you're eating. I don't want to hear it. Don't send it to me. I, I don't want to hear it. Uh, it's okay to pass things through that grid. So when you want to speak a word to somebody, if it doesn't go through the grid of, now, is this word going to encourage them? Is it going to build them up? Is it going to bring comfort to them? If you can't answer yes to that, don't do it. Don't be that parking lot prophecy person. Well, I feel like, Lord, no, no we, we don't need that. That's not, uh, that's, just because you thought of it don't mean it's, that's the way it is. Okay, and we've seen God move in so many ways prophetically in this house, and in life. I mean, it's all—it's been a part of my life. And, and even though I was raised in a church that didn't believe in it, see, I was raised in a church that that every Sunday the praise team, and, and even when I started Cornerstone in 1991 in Sparks, uh, I still had that that deal. And I and I I I I, I, uh, I hate that I was like that. I was doing the best I could with what I knew, but I was that guy still trying to poke a hole in the heavens. Now, I told you this the other day, and, and, and I, I don't mean this to be mean or arrogant. And I, and, and, and I saw these, these three men, and they was posting on Facebook, and they were going, and if they listen to this and watch this, and if they get mad at me, you know, I, I didn't know you was watching. Um, <laughs> but they were going to the county borders where they live with the shofar, and we, we believe in that. We, you know, we'll show you that when we get to the. Feast of Tabernacles, and, and that's the ram's horn. That's just the ram's horn. That's what they blew around the walls of Jericho when they came down. And it's called a shofar. And, uh, and um, so they were going to the every county border, and they, those three men would blow the shofar to, to God. But what they said was in all their writing was that, but they said now, because they've done that, the heavens were open over their county, that they had opened the heavens by doing that. And of course, a lot of people say they're being obedient to the Lord or whatever. Well, it's just, you know, that's been replicated a lot of times. And, and listen to me, it makes me sad. But it also, you got to think about the arrogancy in that, that all of a sudden, because you go blow a shofar with your buddies, now the heavens are open? What's, what we've been doing the whole time before you decide to do that? What happened to all the people that's been living in that county? And you've heard people refer to the heavens are brass, the earth is, you know, the heavens. And, and, and I, I was raised in a, in, a, in, a, in a culture that said the prayers a lot of times start to surface. Oh, Lord, we just pray you would open the heavens today and pour out a blessing. That you would just pour it out on whatever. I already read to you where you got everything you need. The only thing that needs to happen to you is, see, when, when we do praise and worship, we're not trying to get God to come in here. We're not trying to drag God in here. All we're trying to do is to awaken you to his presence that's always around us. What you praying for when God said, if there's two or three of you gathered together, there I am in the midst of you. God said he's there. He's not a liar. God said, I'm already there. You ain't got to drag me in. I was there before you got there, and I'll be here when you gone. And when you get home, I'll be there too. We, we don't understand what happened at the cross. So, but, but, but you know, and I, so I would just spend, 
you know, so much time trying to, you know, poke that hole open in the heavens. And all I'm telling you, there's no Bible for that. All I'm telling you is Isaiah 64, verse 1, the prophet prophesied in the old covenant, a prophet looking forward to the day the Messiah would come. And, and he made a prayer and it was appropriate for him, but it is diabolically wrong for us. He said, oh God, that thou would rend the heavens. That means rip them apart and come down. Well, I want to tell you that prayer of that prophet was answered on the baptism service of Jesus Christ. And it literally said that God tore the heavens open. The Holy Spirit descended in the bodily form as a dove. And God the Father spoke. There we see all three of the Trinity in action and all three speaking. Father, Son, Spirit. And since Jesus came, the heavens have been ripped wide open. And there's not one verse that's sitting out there closed back. And in fact, Jesus said, when and John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation said, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I saw the heavens open. And I saw a door standing open. And the one who, because he is the door, said, come up here. There's no closed heavens. How much time do we waste in church praying for things? Now, see, you'll never go out and try to do anything. You, you'll never go out and try to do things. Go and do likewise if you're always praying for God to do it. I, I told you, you may not understand this. I was preaching one time years ago, many, many years ago over at New Covenant. First time I'd ever preached there. And, and, and I'd been praying and praying, you know, about service. And my pastor pastored the church at that time. I wanted to be, do, do the very best I could. Uh, and... Uh, but you may not understand all this, but I'm just, I'm just telling you. But the Wednesday before I was to minister over here on you know, New Covenant on Sunday morning, uh, I, in my time with God, I heard the Lord say, you know, that demons will manifest, son, in your meetings. Well, that ain't something I want to happen, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to hang out a shingle out here on the side of the road and say everybody with demons, you know, come here and I'll, mm-mm. So I don't believe in demons. That's because you got one. No, I'm... I shouldn't say that. That word on that Wednesday in my time with God was so strong that I actually shared it with my wife and one of my elders and his wife. Now, what I thought in my little brain, I thought that God was saying in my church that I pastor that that might happen, you know, at some point. And the reason I told the elder and his wife, because like Ivory sits on the front row. This elder sat on the front row, and I wanted some help if somebody starts showing out in my meeting. I, that's the only reason I told him. So I tell him that. Did I, did I do that, darling? I told him after a Wednesday night service, and I told him, and that's the guy's name was Steve, and I said, now, somebody show out. You, you get up here quick. Because I don't want all that, you know. And uh, he said, okay. Well, I go to preach at New Covenant the following Sunday. I carry one of my elders, a different elder. I carry him and his wife, which was my secretary, and they accompanied us, and Jill's there. And so I preached, you know, just preached a nice sermon, I thought. I thought it was sweet, you know, nice. The pastor, I turned it back to him. He said, anybody wants this uh, Pastor Dale to pray for you, come up here. Well, see, I was done through. It's 12 o'clock. I was going to be looking good. Got us out, you know, everything's going to be good. You know, and so then he the whole the, little like the whole congregation lined up across front. Now I got to pray for all these people. Now it's going to be probably one thirty before I get out of here, and, and then they're going to blame me because service went long. It wasn't my fault. I didn't call for it, but I just started down the line praying for people. And uh, and if I you know and, and and basically I was just praying for people. 
uh, I can't remember. You know, if you had, felt like a word came, I, I would say it, the word to encourage, to comfort, you know, whatever. But I remember I got to this one lady, and, and there were people standing behind the people and stuff. And, and my pastor was walking with me because he's the pastor. So we were, he was accompanying me as I prayed for, for all of his people. And Jill was accompanying me and, and all. And we're going down the line. His wife was accompanying him. We were, you know, we were going down as a little team praying for people. And I got this one lady, and I can't explain this stuff, but all the bells and the whistles went off inside my spirit. And so I just stopped. And, and I looked at this lady, and, and I don't even know if I handled it properly, but I, this is what I did. I just said, uh, I said uh, she was standing there. She didn't look like super happy or nothing. But I said, uh, ma'am, are you, are you a believer? Do you, do you, you, believe, you know, you're a believer. And... Uh, because I, I don't really ask a lot of people if they're Christians, because everybody's Christian, but I just want to know she was a believer in Christ, you know. And she said, yes, I am. I heard the Lord say, no, she's not. And I said, ma'am, are you sure that you're a believer in, 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 in Jesus? She said, yes, I am. I heard the Lord say, no, she's not. And I said, well, ma'am, I, I don't mean to bug you, but could we just pray, you know, for that for you? Could you just pray that prayer? And because if you are, it will make, it won't it won't hurt a thing. Okay, uh, if you're not, it could be a big deal. Could we just do that? She said, "Sure." So I said, uh, "Just repeat after me." So I led her, you know, and I just was leading her to Romans ten, verse nine and ten. You know, I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so when I got to that part. She started screaming. She spit, physically spit on my tie. Uh, she fell backwards in the floor and started shaking violently. And then the word came to me from Wednesday, demons shall manifest in your meetings. And I'm like, thanks, God, right down here at New Covenant. Appreciate you. Got you. <laughs> it's just what I wanted. So she went down to the floor, and she was shaking. I had one of her arm, hands. Uh, Pastor L.A. had the other one she was shaking. Now, I looked, and Sister Jill had transported herself way over here. <laughs> she left me out there on my own. You know you did, baby. <laughs> she don't do demons. <laughs> She'll hang with you on a lot, but you start spitting and hollering, she's gone. <laughs> and, uh, but listen to me, and I'm not mocking this, this dear lady that this was happening, because it's tragic, but we're there to deliver. And all I said, just in a very calm voice, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command the demon to come out of this woman. That's all I said. I didn't scream it. Some, some of y'all think if you scream loud, the devil goes, oh, no, they're screaming we got to go. None of that matters. It's not your voice. It's not the, it's the power that we carry. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And, and, and I, just said, I just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of the woman. I did it one time. Now, this has happened to me many, many times. I pray it don't happen today <laughs> by me telling this story. But it happens, and, and I've never had to say it more than twice, you know, more, uh, uh, twice, just one time. Uh, so she immediately, when I said that, she immediately stopped the violent shaking, stopped it, was at peace. We lifted her back up, 
Uh, and so now she's standing back up. I said, ma'am, I would like to continue our prayer that we was going to pray. And so we did. Uh, when she prayed that prayer, just believed in Christ, she looked and said, uh, can I say something? And I looked at Pastor L.A., I said, uh, him. He, of course, said yes. He took the mic. He said, I'll hold the mic. That's where I learned that from him. From him. And um, she looked, and she, she looked at him. He was, you know, holding the mic for her. She looked right in his face, and she said, uh, I didn't want to come to this church today. I didn't like this church. Uh, my daughter comes here. My, my daughter, she's 19. She comes to church here. And she looked at him, and she said, I hated you, and I hated this church because I didn't like her coming here. And, but, but she insisted that I come today to hear this guest speaker. And then she just went busted into weeping. And she said, I'm so glad I did, because she said, I don't hate you anymore. She said, I love you, and I love this church, and I love these people. Come on, give God praise for that. And, and whatever was going on in that woman's life that had demonic influence in her and was taking advantage of her area where because see any area in your life where you you feel like there's you know you're being tormented i'm not talking about possession here and ownership and and all that kind of deal but but being harassed by the enemy remember i had a lady and she communicates and she could very well be listening today she lives in alabama i met some of her family the other day and uh um but when i first started pastoring uh, she was one of the most tormented women I'd ever seen. And in fact, she called me, and on a Sunday afternoon, we did Sunday morning, Sunday night in those days, you know, when we were really safe. And um, so she said that, and she told me all the, the demonic activity. She couldn't, she was fearful. She couldn't take a shower uh, without, you know, having a gun laying there. She always thought somebody would break in on her while she was in the shower. That's probably from my Alfred Hitchcock movie. <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> she had a lot of problems. She said she would see demonic activity manifest in her bed. She thought about dying all the time. She was just tormented day and night. She said, now, I can come out to your house now because I know where you live and you can pray for me. <laughs> I said, well, just come tonight to church. Because I was like, well, you only know if I can handle that. After, I mean, she, I'm telling you, she told me a lot. I'm not going into detail all what she told me. So that night, uh, she come, and, and uh, she identified herself when she came in said, I'm the lady that called you today. So she come in and took a seat about midway, right on the, on the aisle seat like this. And so uh, I'm sitting on the stage in those days, uh, and they, the praise team's doing the music and stuff. Well, she just abruptly gets up and walks out of the building. Now, I had told a couple of my elders that, that she was present and, you know, what we were going to be praying for, and she left. And I, I mean, she didn't leave like in a good, you know, she left like, she, I'm gone. And so when I saw her roll out, and they did too, I just kind of give the old eye nod, and they knew what I meant. I meant go get her. And they went outside. I don't mean they drug her in kicking and screaming, nothing, okay? But they went in and convinced her to come back in. But I could tell she, whatever was troubling her was fighting her big time. When she came in and she got down about where that tripod is, or get, you know, I thought I wanted to bring her up. To me, the service, this is what we're doing today, this woman. 
And uh, we didn't even got to me preaching, you know. But when she walked in, I went down, you know, down and met her down there, and and laid hands on her. Now I honestly can't remember if there was much. Do you remember if there was much physical? I don't think there was. And we, and we just, I just laid hands on her, and I just said, all all these things that are tormenting this woman, they're not, you know, gone. I just command them to 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 desist and desist and you know, stop it in Jesus' name. And. Um, and I'll never forget, and, and, and we didn't take long. And afterwards, she said to me, uh, after the service, she didn't say this in front of the whole congregation at that point, but after the service, and her whole countenance changed. I mean, I had people in my congregation say they couldn't believe that woman looked ashen and gray, and, just, just, and her whole countenance changed. Everybody would comment about how beautiful she looked after that. And she stayed there for many, many years until she moved to where she lives now in Alabama. And... Um, um, and I remember after that service that day, she came to me and she said, Pastor, she said, I want to apologize to you for cussing you while you were praying for me. And I said, darling, you didn't cuss me. She said, I didn't say cuss words out loud to you. And, she, and I said, no, ma'am, you didn't say anything. She said, oh, I'm so thankful. She said, all I could hear was me cursing you and cursing you. And I said, that wasn't you. That was that spirit trying to curse you know, but I said, you didn't say a word. She said, I'm so thankful for that because she said I was going to be so embarrassed if I had said all that out loud. I said, you didn't say anything. I said, don't worry about that. Those days is gone. Now, I tell you, God loves people. And God needs a church that believes in the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, and teacher. God needs all of that. A while ago, when I got to the ring finger, I said, that's covenant pastor, and I left off the teacher. The teacher just gets right in your ear. It fits perfect, okay? So that's what the teacher does. And, and we need five, we need all of that. Like when Eddie comes, he'll bring a different aspect of that. His wife will bring a different part. Because the Bible says that, uh, Peter said this, he said, you know, for we have all have the grace of God, and whatever grace gift that God has on you, minister that gift, but he talked about, and he uses this term, the multifaceted grace of God. Grace is not one-dimensional. Grace has many aspects and facets, like a diamond that's been cut, and, and that's the reason they make multifaceted diamonds. And if I'm, am I doing right, Adam, on that? But because it makes it respond to the light. It, it, that's what gives it that sparkle and that, that brilliance, because all the facets uh, that it has, and it reflects that light, and it reflects that, that beauty that's on the inside. And every one of you, it could be something as seeing somebody like that guy on that road that got, he just had a bad day, man, and some thieves ripped him off. And what did they do? Uh, this guy just helped. He, he didn't do no big praying. He didn't have to cast out no devil. He didn't, he didn't heal him. He, he, he just took care of his natural wounds. He bandaged him. He put him on his own donkey. He transported him, in other words. He, he paid the innkeeper to take care of him, give him a place to recuperate and to get better. And he just used practical things. Isn't that something that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to kind of do? This is not, you know, beat you up, you ain't nothing if you don't do it. But you'll have opportunities to help somebody in this world. And Jesus said, when he got through telling the parable, he said, now to us, he said, go and do likewise. It, it's not just come and see... But see, okay, go back to that woman at New Covenant. Imagine her doing all that, falling in the floor. And you may not understand even the example I've given today. 
I've had that happen, you know, in different places. I had it happen before, you know, when I was pastoring Cornerstone. And I would have people leave the church because that happened. Because somebody did like that and screamed and carried on. And they just go, well, that scared me. I'm, you know, and they wouldn't come back. I, I can't do nothing about that. You ain't never heard nobody scream? You screamed yourself, you know? But, I mean, people are just, you know, sometimes that's, that, that's the deal. Do you know Jesus encountered a, the demonized man of Gadara? Y'all remember that dude? Bible said Jesus talked to the guy. This guy ran naked through the tombs. They would chain him. He would break the chains. You know? Nobody would travel that area because they were terrified of this guy. He would cut himself. You ever heard of people doing that? He would cut himself. He would do all these things. Uh, the, Jesus goes there, and, and he's talking to the guy, and, he, and, and, and this guy is speaking. It's the demonic voices out of this man. They look at Jesus and said, have you come to torment us before it's time? And Jesus like, be quiet. And he said, what's your name? He said, Legion, for we are many. You know what Legion means? Over 60,000. That brother had some critters on board. You hear what I'm talking about? Over 60,000 demons was in that man, if you believe what he said, what the Bible said. And the Bible said Jesus cast them out and commanded them. Now, that they were having, you know, hogs over here, swine. And they said, Listen to, listen to me now. Demons are praying to Jesus, and they get their prayers answered. If Jesus will answer demons' prayers, what you worried about? These demons pray to Jesus, say, please don't just send us to the abyss, but let us go into the swine. Jesus says, okay, so be it. But when them demons departed, that, that demonized man, they went into the hogs, and then the Bible said the hogs ran and destroyed themselves over the cliff. Even a hog rather die and have a demon on board. You see what I'm saying? Then it says Jesus is sitting with this man. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. They're having a conversation. And the people of that area saw that. And it said they came to Jesus and said, please don't ever come here again. Or we're terrified. That's what you got in the church. People are scared of the supernatural power of God. Scared of it. And there's no record Jesus ever returned there because he's, he's not a bully. He doesn't go where he's not wanted or welcome. Now, what, what, what I'm telling you is I want you to stand to your feet. It's 12.08. I'm eight minutes over, but it's okay. I shouldn't remind you of that stuff. Now you're looking at your watch to confirm that I was right. Can I just say something to, to this congregation? I felt like the Lord showed me for this service. And I don't know if it's just one person, and, I, and I've asked the Lord to illuminate you to me. Uh, I'll give him one more chance for me to scan with my Superman eyes. Because he can do that. He does it often. But you're here. You're in this building right now. And this is... And there's been, uh, it's been a continuous cycle of defeat. And you're just going to have to be honest and admit it. And I'm not, I'm not going to put you on display or anything. There's been a continual cycle of just defeat and despair. And that's not the way you're supposed to live. You're not supposed to live that way. God don't want that for you. And if you feel that way, I'm going to ask you to be real brave today. 
I believe it's a lot more than just one, but I want you to come and just stand across the front of the altar. It's okay, darling. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. It's okay. Man, I feel the Lord, don't you guys? Those chill bumps we're feeling right now is not air conditioning. That's just the spirit of the Lord. Bless you people, they're coming. We really do love you. <clears throat> Sweetheart, right here, just you you're it's for everybody, but you're the you're the big target. Jill, come stand behind her. Look at me. What's your name? I know I'm supposed to know it. Forget. Huh? Chantel. Okay, look at me, Chantel. This is what I see. I see you right now getting on a bicycle. And you're, do you understand that you can make, you can go faster and further on a bicycle than you can on foot? You can cover more ground and go greater distances. Today, the Lord says that He's giving you in the Spirit a bicycle. And what the, listen to me, what the bicycle is, is goodbye, bye, cycles. It is by to cycles of defeat and despair. It's, it's, so today, this, this cycle, it's been at least 12 years. Am I right? At least 12 years of this. This is broken today. The cycle is broken. And, 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 and so the Lord, because a bicycle has to be ridden on a smooth surface. And he's making the low places high and the high places low. And he's removing the stumbling blocks and all those things. And he's making smooth paths for you. And you're going to accelerate and you're going to go further and faster than you've ever dreamed. And for all these past 12 years, it seemed like it's held you back. And you've not been able to, to, to live the dream that's in your heart. You're going to catch up really fast. You believe me? In the name of Jesus, so be it to her right now, Father. As her faith is. Lord, we command the cycle to be broken. No more repetition of, of, of cycles of defeat and despair. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It's done. You believe it? Yes. yes. Amen. Now, let me say this. It doesn't make that God loves her more than he does any of you. But I just had to obey the target that God was showing me because when she walked up I saw that image you got a bicycle today we gave away a bicycle at church about now every one of you whatever that cycle or that repetition is uh, I believe the same word for her is the same word for you today you say and you join with me as I join with you you say goodbye to cycles of defeat cycles of just whatever that cycle is you, you the one that knows what it is I don't know but Father, I pray and stretch it to every one of these people. Father, I pray for every person here in Jesus' name. They're important to you. And in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I, I declare the cycle broken. The cycle broken. My precious sister, cycles are broken. Cycles of despair, defeat, broken today. The cycles are broken in Jesus' name. Cycles broken 
level pass, smooth pass. In Jesus' name. Cycles, my brother, are broken. They're broken in Jesus' name. You believe it? You ain't going to keep doing this, living like this. <laughs> you know that's right. He said, I know that's right. Roger, the cycles are broken, my precious brother. Listen to me. Roger is a man that's only been here like three, four weeks, four weeks. Roger was here four weeks ago for the first time. God touched him tremendously that day, and Howard introduced me to him. Howard had invited him, and Howard introduced me to him and said to come talk to him, meet him after the service, and he was crying so so profusely and he couldn't even speak and I just looked at Roger and said don't, you don't have to talk you don't have to say a word he walked out in the vestibule and heard Johanna talking to some people about laying new flooring in one of our Sunday school rooms he said it went to her and said I couldn't help over here and you talk about that he said I've done that for 35 years that's what I do he said I'd be glad to help this is first Sunday she said, now, you know, we, we, we don't have no way of reimbursing you or nothing right now, you know, for that. He said, did I mention anything about being reimbursed? He said, I'll do it. He's already done that, hasn't he, Johanna? And do you know every Sunday since then, and this is to encourage you, maybe to provoke us all, he's brought brand new people with him to this service, to this church every Sunday since then. He brought brand new people. And every Sunday when I come in now, I go back there and Roger's sitting there and he's pointing to his left or to his right. I brought this guy, Pastor. I brought this guy. He's like the woman at the well. He encountered Jesus and he run back to the city and he's telling everybody what God's done. And Roger, in the name of Jesus Christ, that years of cycle and addiction and all those things are broken today. It's not going to be like it has been in the past. In Jesus' name. You believe that, Roger? Yes. Cycles broken. Every cycle of defeat broken. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Depression and despair leaves you right now. In Jesus' name. <laughs> We're not, we're not putting up with none of that demonic stuff trying to torment somebody. Man, I love you. I declare the cycles are broken in your life in Jesus' name. The cycles are broken in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to rejoice with her because she just got set free from depression today. The devil cannot hide from the Spirit of the Lord. Father, we love you for loving us. Hallelujah. Man, she's just so happy to be free. I rejoice with her. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, a little bit different today, but I'll take it. How about you? 
I love to watch God deliver, set people free. It's going to never be the same for you, darling. It's going to never be the same. I can't wait to watch it. Amen. I love you. Bless you. All right, Grace Point. We love you guys. God bless you. Go enjoy your day. Tell somebody. Do like Roger's doing. Bring some new folk with you next time, okay? Okay. <laughs>